finally this morning, I have a letter from our pastor, from Pastor Peter. Uh, spoke to him, met with him uh, last week, and in addition to our meeting, he wanted me to read this to you. Uh, we'll put this on the website sometime this week, but, but hear this. Uh, there is one or two errors in here. I edited this and didn't save the copy. Uh, so before it goes on the website, uh, it will be edited. So if I make the mistake, I'm reading what's here and not what should be, okay? Uh, all right. I'm kind of kidding, but not really. Hey there, church family. Greetings in, the, in Jesus' name. Well, it's been about a month since I left for my sabbatical. The past month has been mostly filled with hosting family from Korea and Virginia, a short trip to Bethany Beach in Michigan, compliments of Dan and Wendy, and time spent with Jenny and the kids. It's been quite hectic and physically draining at times, but fortunately I've been able to slow down a bit and to enter into a different rhythm of life. It's been a hard, good season. This past month has shown me, among other things, that I was sustaining a pace of life that was unsustainable physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. I had somehow gotten myself into a rhythm of life that would have been destructive to myself and others around me. Driving this mad pace of life was an unhealthy obsession with success, achievement, and yes, affirmation. The thing that I have preached on over and over again has become true of me. I had begun to worship a false god, an idol of ministry, that drove me to deny the true God of my life and to seek salvation elsewhere. And I am learning once again firsthand that false idols never come through for you. False idols ask that you spend your entire life for it, only to realize that it will never satisfy, never fulfill, never meet the deepest yearning of the human heart. I am learning anew the essential truth that I believe with all my heart. We were created for God, and it is only in Him that we live and move and have our being. In Him all things hold together. And yes, apart from him, all things eventually wear out and fall apart. There is so much more to share with all of you. And I look forward to returning soon to be with you once again. I do consider you my family. That is becoming all the more clear during this sabbatical as well. I am realizing that despite my unwillingness to ask for help, driven by my pride to think that I can do things on my own. Many of you have been there for me all along. And as one person said to me on, on, on last Sunday, all you need to do is ask. I am realizing that I need to do a better job of swallowing my stupid pride and let people in on my life so that I can truly be helped by my church family. Pray for me as I pray for you. I often think of you and pray that the God of our Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit will sustain you and keep you. God has been and is at work in the life of new community. I am continually praying that you will sense his presence and his work in your life daily. God finishes what he starts. Praise him for that. Grace and peace, your pastor. We always want to pray for Pastor Peter just as he's asked while he's away on this sabbatical. So do that, do that. Pray for our pastor and his family. This morning, as Grace said, we have a gift in hearing from Pastor Angela. Pastor Angela um, has been around and here at New Community. It's not even been a few months anymore. I think it's correct to say it's been longer than that. For, for all this year and a little bit beyond, uh, I think the latter part of November, and so we are grateful that she's been serving in our church, serving in ways that you can see and some ways that you can't. Um, and this morning you get to see and to hear uh, her preach the gospel, to preach the word to us. So welcome, Pastor Angela. I am increasingly excited um, to be here today, this morning. I am so blessed to hear that letter from Pastor Peter, as I know we've all been praying for him. So we thank God for what the Holy Spirit is doing for him during this time. 
Can we just clap our hands for the worship team this morning? The reason I had you to do that, and I am surely getting to the message today, but the reason I had you to do that is because positively, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, we as believers and as Christians who name the name of Jesus is identified in heaven as being worshipers of the only true and living God. So here in the earth realm, while I have the opportunity to throw up my hands or to yell out his name and to give him praise, I consider it an honor that he lets me stand before people without shame and without having any hesitation to say that I belong to him and he belongs to me. Come on, you ought to clap your hands for Jesus. Come on. You don't have to be a singer to worship him. Amen? Amen. I am so excited. So let me throw out a few disclaimers before I get started. I have a tendency to get a little loud. So I thank God for the man that's back there that's going to keep me on my toes and to make sure that I do not blow your eardrums today. So thanks. So let's clap your hands for him. He is going to help all of us today. Thank you. I want to talk today, this message, uh, this gospel series that we've been going through and that we've been hearing over the course of the last few weeks, where we have been so blessed to hear Blake and Nate and Pastor Michael as they have shared about the gospel and what it means to us. It's one thing to hear the gospel, but it's another thing that the, the gospel applies to your life. That it's not just words on pages. It is not just a profound message, but it is actually the life and the essence of why I live and how I see Christ in me daily, growing daily, fortifying, daily forming me and making me look like him more and more every day Despite my hesitation, despite my limitations, despite my doubts and my fears, Christ in me is the hope of glory. And he abides and lives every day. And because of that, I can celebrate and say I am no longer who I was, but I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. And he is transforming me every day day by his power. Come on, somebody, get excited. I know it's hot, but you know, it doesn't matter. When you're excited and you have something to shout about, it doesn't matter what the temperature is. You will find a way to do it. I've seen basketball and football fans in the dead of winter with no shirts on, yelling at the top of their lungs for a team that is not paying them one dollar. <laughs> so we can at least shout, in this hot room, <laughs> we have something to shout about. All right, this message, identity, the gospel, and understanding our identity, this is a very sensitive message for me. I know it's God's will that I speak it because it puts me in a vulnerable place to tell the truth about myself. To be honest with myself and to no longer live the lie that I have it all together and that I figured out all of the answers and that I don't have any problems. But this causes me to be very real with myself and to say that despite the things that I experience and despite my shortcomings, thank God my identity no longer lies in me. And what I am able to do, it no longer lies in what people say about me. But my identity is swallowed up 
in the power of God through the son of Jesus. Amen. So I'm excited because when I think about this message, identity, it was at my greatest identity crisis that I met Jesus. He came and rescued me and redeemed me at the very moment that I thought there was nothing else to live for because nothing that I thought I would do with my life and nothing that I thought would happen in my life was actually taking place. The despair and the disappointment was so grievous that I felt that there was nothing else to live for. But at that very moment, at my worst, at my most vulnerable, at the point of my greatest despair, I heard a voice in my heart of heart that said to me, get up because you don't need to fix it anymore. You don't need to worry about it anymore. You don't need to make a name for yourself. You no longer need to prove yourself. You no longer need to ask for affirmation from anyone anymore. I have come that you might live. And ever since that day, as my grandmother used to say, I've been running for Jesus. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that's what they say. <laughs> Bless the Lord. So I am excited as we talk about identity. Now I want to talk a bit in the realm or in the aspect of our identity and spiritual formation. N- growing, developing maturing in our faith in Jesus Christ, where we no longer stay in a position or stay in a place where we are what the Bible calls babes in Christ, but we grow to a place of maturity that we are anchored in the faith to know that all things are done through Jesus Christ. So our formation, our spiritual formation that affects your spiritual life, your natural life, it affects the way you socialize in community. It does something in your inner man that gives charge to Christ, that gives opportunity to the Holy Spirit that he may form and shape and mold you to become more like Christ every day. And this is what Pastor Mike was, he was sharing uh, last week. He said that we die a little. We die a little every day. There's some aspects of who I am that has to die every day. But thank God he lives. (laughs) When I was younger, in my teenage years, I used to think and I had the dream of what my future looked like. My future, I would be married and have a perfect family with perfectly behaved children who were geniuses, we would be rich so that I did not have to cook and we could eat out every day and I could have maid service so that I did not have to clean. Mm -hmm. I would have the perfect job because the perfect job meant that I could dress nice every day And that everyone would know how smart I am. That was my perfect life. My perfect life. And no one could tell me any differently. Why? Because I grew up watching TV shows like The Waltons. And I watched Wonder Woman. She was the coolest woman. Powerful. And beautiful. And I was going to be the next Wonder Woman. I grew up watching the Cosbys and Good Times and 
I watched those shows. So those shows began to shape what I thought my future was going to be. Because after all, the Waltons had pretty nice kids. You know, they said goodnight to everyone, you know, every night. And they called everybody's name. It was wonderful. Not like my children. (laughs) What happened to the perfect family? The Cosby, the, my, my profession and my career, all of those things, that was my dream and my passion. And as I grew up and you come into your adult ages, you began to realize that that is a bunch of rubbish. Somebody forgot to tell me that what happened on television was not necessarily the life that you would live. So I was highly disappointed when life came running after me. Where doors begin to close and situations and events begin to take place that denied who I thought I would be. So as I think about identity, the question is, what or who has shaped your identity, what you believe about yourself. Identity is what you know about yourself, what you believe about yourself, and the fruit that you produce because of what you know and what you believe. Identity is the true you, the authentic you, the you that you have yet to discover. Identity, it shapes your actions, your behaviors, your outlooks, your expectation. Why is identity so important? Because if our identity is not solid in us, then our path and our directions begin to go in multiple directions in multiple places because In us is a seek to know who we really are and what is it that we are supposed to do with our lives. They talk about uh, in uh, uh, the study of human existence, they say we are all plagued with questions about ourselves. Who am I? How can I be happy? What should I do with my life? What should I do with my life? And how do I make the right choices? And where do I belong? And what is the point of striving when life is so short anyway? Our identity shapes us. And if we look at how important our identity is, then we must also look at the multiple times we experience identity crisis. When we look at ourselves and, and, and we look at what's going on and what's happening in our, in, in our world, what's happening in countries, we see that there is major identity crisis. People are desiring and have a passion to know who they are and what were they born for and what am I to do with my life? It's so important for us to look at this because when we have an identity crisis and we don't know where to search for our true identity, we will look for it in wrong places, in wrong people. And then we will be disappointed with our results and suffer even greater because we have yet to identify our true identity. So when we think about this gospel message that we have been given in Christ Jesus, then we understand how important it is for us to know that our identity rests in Jesus. The gospel message is declaring to us not only who he is, 
and what he has done, but it is also declaring to you who you are now because of who he is and what he has done. It is a message that we call the good news. Why is it the good news? Because we should all be happy that it is no longer what it was, but things now are new and what we have in Christ Jesus through this gospel message now is telling me that I don't have to anchor myself in the things of this world. I don't have to anchor myself in what my past looked like. I don't have to anchor myself in my problems and circumstances as though they are greater than the power of Jesus Christ. I don't have to anchor myself in what somebody told me I would or would not become. I don't have to embrace the lies anymore that tells me that I am not able and I cannot and I will not because now I serve a God who has made all things that were impossible now have become possible in Jesus Christ. So all of my despair, I can hang upon him because he is able to carry it and to lift me and to tell me that he paid the price one day on Calvary and because he did that, I live for him every day and he lives through me every day and every day I am seeing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit begin to change my life. I'm not the same. I may look the same, but I am not the same. So when we look at our text, we're in Matthew. You have your Bibles. We're in Matthew. Chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to read verse 13. We're going to read the verses 13 through 19. And it reads, I'm reading King James. So if you have another version, that's perfectly okay. King James uh, says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elisha, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As we look at this this text, we find ourselves at at the, the point where Jesus is with his disciples. We're looking back at the times and the years that Christ has spent with his disciples. And over this course of time, they have seen him perform great miracles. They have been discipled by him where he, he, he utilized the tools of instruction and, and training and, and confronting injustice and establishing relationships with them and releasing prophetic utterances that declared that he was and that he is and that he is to come. When he spoke to them, he spoke concerning the fact that he was spoken of in times past. And that what they were experiencing by his presence was the prophetic word of God to say that a Messiah was coming. 
and in him was redemptive power to save. He declared to them where he was going and what was going to take place because of what he was going to do. The disciples had been with him and had seen great things. They had heard and learned of him. And now as they sat, Christ is here and he is totally aware that the, the times of past where that he had the time to just sit with them, talk to them and train them is just about over. He is at the point where he is preparing himself for his passion. He is preparing himself to give of his life. And the disciples now are in a place and in a position where they have learned and seen what Christ has done, but they are not fully aware of what is getting ready to take place. And so Jesus knew that at the time of his passion that he would have to make sure that what he instilled in them and discipling them would not go away when he ascended. He needed to make sure that all that he had poured into them and all that they had seen now would show up at the time necessary for the establishing of the church. So he needed to check, to do a check, to do a survey, to do an analysis, to make sure that they got it. And so as he was preparing for this, wouldn't you know the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come and would try to trip him up and mess him up and try to get him to do something uh, only to bring him to a place of shame. So they came to him and said to him, give us a sign. Give us a sign from heaven. And he said, no, I won't do that. And, and I, love, I, I love looking at the word of God and looking at Christ and his humanity. It's so settling for me. <laughs> because as I watch, listen to it and read the word, I can pick up on the tone where Christ was not too happy and not too pleased with the, what they were trying to do. So he had what we call a little attitude. He was a little frustrated and, 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 and a little bothered that they would come at this time to try to trick him into something that they knew would, would hinder what he had before him. So he sat with them and told them that he would not give them a sign. But after he talked to them, he warned his disciples and said to the disciples, he said, don't, he said, beware and be careful of the bread of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, beware. He was telling them, beware of their teachings. Beware of their doctrine. Beware of the things that they would try to impose upon you. Why is that important? Because he knew what was to come and how important it was for them to be firm in what they knew, what they had been told, and what they had learned. It was so important that they could not bear to have the opposition or have those things coming against them that would cause them to question all that he had taught them. So he said to them, beware of what you will learn or what you see in the, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so when he began to talk to them, he asked them a question and he asked all of the disciples, he said, who do men say that I, the son of man, is? What I find so profound, and, and I really want to highlight, is that in his question, he took the time to identify that he already knew who he was. So he was not asking the question as though he didn't know. He was asking them this question here because I want to know what you know and what you believe. So he asked the question, what and who do men say that I, the son of man, is? And I love how he did not at this point identify himself necessarily with his divinity, but he identified himself with his humanity. 
He was speaking to the disciples, and he said, who do men say I, the son of man, is? What he wanted the disciples to pick up and what I believe that he was stating for them to understand is, I know exactly who I am and what I am purposed to do. The Father wrapped me up in flesh and sent me here that I can identify with mortal man. He said, I want you to understand that I am human and I understand exactly the things that you endure. I can identify with you and your humanity. Isn't that a blessing? Because he did not declare how he could sit on a throne in heavenly places and just look down upon these lowly human beings. But he declared that I am the son of man and he identified himself in his humanity. He began then as he talked about who he is and asking the question, who do men say that I am. He looked at the disciples and they answered the question. They say that you are Jeremiah, that you are John the Baptist, that you are the prophet Elijah or some, you know, some good prophet. That's who they say that you are. The thing that we should look at even greater is in their identifying him. They were not identifying him according to who he was, but according to what he did, according to his performances. So they said, John the Baptist, because he could be a forerunner for the Messiah to to herald the message that the Messiah is coming. We don't believe that he is the Messiah, but he could be a forerunner declaring the message that the Messiah is coming. He could be the prophet Jeremiah, you know, a reforming prophet who declares what God is going to do, but then what is he, what he's going to come back and redeem and reform because of his work. He could be Elisha, you know, just wonderful miracles. You know, he's done some great things and we appreciate him healing us and, you know, delivering us and, you know, giving us legs when we didn't have it and, you know, opening our withered up hands and making the blind people see. We appreciate that and we are glad that he did that, but that does not say who he really is. He's just a good guy doing good things for some people that need some good stuff. So we appreciate that. But we can't identify him for who he really is. You see, there are some things and some people that only identify you by what you do. Not by who you are. They don't know you. They don't know what's in your heart of hearts. And they don't know what makes you you. But they identify you by the works that you do. This is the lie that Christ wants us to come out of. Because it it puts us in a place where we cannot embrace the truth of the gospel message. Because we believe the lie that they tell us. That they look at what we do. We put it on ourselves a lot of times. We identify ourselves by what we do, how successful we are, and the great job and profession that we have, and how educated we are, and how many beautiful children we have, and how big my house is, and how nice my car is. We identify ourselves based upon the things that we have gained or the things that we have done. But Christ, already knowing who he was and trying to get the message across to these disciples is saying to them, no, your identity is not in what you do. Why? Because just about anybody can do the things that you do. When a great invention is made, two weeks later, if it's Apple, it's going to be a new thing. Someone is always looking to one-up someone else. It's a 
a competitive thing. It's a rat's race where we are trying to convince ourselves that we can keep up with the status quo while most of us now are losing the race and losing our breath in the race and crying out for help without any direction as to where we should go. But Jesus said, no, even though I've done these great things, that is not what makes me me. Because of who I am, that is why I could do those things. But the who that I am is the very essence of what makes me me. Oh, we should be happy for that. We don't have to identify ourselves by that anymore. (laughs) I think about when when we look at how we identify ourselves. A lot of times we identify ourselves, and if I give you this description, I'm an African-American Christian female, around 40 or (laughs) so-ish. Born to Mary Bowens and Alvin Johnsons, I'm married to Troy Tebow, and I have four beautiful children, and I work as a pastor in the Chicago region. I could tell you and give you that description without ever giving you a name. You would never have to associate the name, the the person, the essence of the person by their description, by what we use to identify them. The problem is when we use these things to identify ourselves, these very things, although they give us a sense of identity, they also take away our sense of identity. So there's always a give which causes you to think that you are well. And then there is the subtraction which lets you know that there is no stability in the things that you identify concerning yourself. When we look at what Christ was told, he said, they said that you are these particular people. Those were not the answers that Christ wanted to hear. He asked them again, a second time, a second question, and he said, well, who do you say that I am? This is the most important question. Because anyone could tell you what something is, but it's another thing when you yourself experience it and know it. You could tell me that the peach that you're eating is sweet and it tastes good and I could look at you and desire that peach because you described it as tasting good. But for me to taste it myself and to know it for myself establishes a truth in me. It is no longer just your truth, but it is my truth that I know that it is sweet and that it is good because I have tasted of it. So he asked him, He asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter was the only brave one that opened his mouth and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. When he asked him that, and Peter gave that response, Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood have not revealed that to you. So here's the thing that we have to understand. Is that our our natural man, our our humanity, cannot really fully conceive who Christ is and what he has done. Because it, it really goes beyond our infinite minds, 
our finite minds. It goes beyond what we can understand because how is it possible that a human, a man could die on the cross, go in the grave and rise again and take all power, live in me, claim me, and regenerate me constantly where he doesn't need my help to do it. He only needs my submission. So when he said, who am I? He said, this is who you are. He said, my father in heaven has revealed this to you. Here's the wonderful thing about our Father in heaven. I love it. You know, when, when Jesus was getting baptized by John the Baptist, and the Bible said that he went in and he came up, and the dove came and descended upon his shoulder, and then the voice from heaven began to speak out and say that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And what I found amazing, absolutely amazing, and which said so much about the Father, is that at that very point, Jesus had not performed one miracle, not one sign, had not done anything, had not even began his ministry. And the Father spoke and gave him his identity in the ears of man, that they would hear that he is the beloved son of God and that the father is well pleased with him. What we have to understand is that in this gospel message, as we, as we hear it, as we believe it, as we embrace it and watch to see how it transforms our very life, when we embrace it at its true essence, what God does then is hides us in Jesus, the beloved son of God. He hides us in Jesus, the one that he is very well pleased with. So even when he is displeased with me, he is pleased with the son. Even when I fall short because I am hidden in Christ Jesus, he covers me. And because he covers me, all of my and my flaws and all of my situations now began to be of non-effect to the formation of what God is doing in me. So my sins and the things that I do that I know now is, is, is sin against God. Thanks be to Christ Jesus that I can hide in a well-pleasing son of the living God that when he looks at Jesus, he can still say that I I am pleased with you and I am pleased with them because they are in you. He said, I am transforming and forming them because they are in you. I am shaping them and molding them because they are in you. He said, I now am able to look past and to forgive them of their sins. Why? Because I look at the blood of the lamb that is pure and that is holy and I am able to say that even though now their sin is like a crimson stain but God the son of Jesus the lamb of God his blood is pure and because his blood is pure now I am able to forgive you we should be excited about that Excited about that. Our gospel message, when he said to his disciples, when he, Peter, was able to identify with him who he was, after Peter and after his disciples come, came to a point where they could acknowledge what they knew about Jesus, not what someone said, but what they knew about Jesus, and then also what they believed about Jesus. It was after this point that Jesus turned around and gave Peter his identity. We receive our identity 
in Christ and in this gospel message when we can acknowledge what we know about Jesus and what he has done, when we can stand firm in what we believe about what this gospel message is saying to us. We believe now who Christ is and what he is doing in us. When we can identify that, it is at that point where Christ can release our true identity. It's that point where he can tell us what our purpose is in him, that our purpose is no longer to go after the things that man puts before us, but our purpose now is identified in the purpose of God. I have a reason why I am here. So I don't have to ask that question anymore. Why was I created? I was created for him. Why? I don't have to ask that question. Why am I in existence? I am in existence. Why? To show forth the light of his glory and to be able to declare his good message and to tell somebody else that may not know him like I have had the opportunity to know him, to be able to identify with them, to say, I've been where you are. And I know the place of need in which you are searching for. But the answer we have found and we have discovered in this gospel message that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Jesus, now, he has saved us from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ has saved us from the works now of the flesh. Jesus Christ now has done a major transformation in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are no longer who they said that we were. He said, Simon, you're no longer Simon, but you are Peter. You are a rock. Now, why? Not because of all the fish that you caught, not because of the wonderful family that you have, but you are a rock now because you have the revelation to know that I am the son of the living God. And because of that revelation, and that truth, he said, your identity has changed. I'm happy about that because I didn't like all of me. I am so happy that he has changed my identity. Now, he gave me a new name. Anybody get a new name? He gave me a new name. Peter, you are a rock. He said, and upon this revelation and this knowledge and this truth that you have, he said, there I will build my church. See, it's upon that knowledge, that revelation, that saving grace. It is upon that that we began to see the redeeming, transforming, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit began to move in us. And to change our lives. To show the glory of Christ in us. He said, Peter, because of this revelation, you have a new name. He said, and I also give to you a greater authority. I've given to you power now to do and to go forth. And that's what a lot of us need. We need the strength and the empowerment to do and to go forth. Said at that point, our identity must be totally and wholeheartedly wrapped up in what we know about Jesus and what he has done what we believe about Jesus and what he has done. Finally, as we get closing out this series of the gospel messages, where Blake talked about legalism in the gospel versus the gospel, talked about obedience, service, relationship, and identity. The purpose of us sharing the gospel message and why we enforce it and why we reinforce it in your inner man is because it is the very foundation of our belief. It is the truth 
about what we know and who we are. The gospel message is the greatest commodity that has been given to the church to progress the kingdom. Its value is unsearchable. That message of the gospel transforms us. It is not just mere words that tickle your ears, that give a preacher affluence, or that looks good on pages. But the gospel message is what equips us and what transforms us. This message comes with its own power. This is what's so wonderful about the gospel message, that infused in the message is its own power to perform. They're not words, they're words with life, words with power. So when a hearer hears the message of the gospel, when we hear it, just hearing it will begin to renew and to transform us. We don't need to put power behind it. It has its own power. It is its own truth. And so as in conclusion, I would say to you, like Paul, as he wrote to the church of Ephesus, he prayed a prayer for them. He stated to them that he had to make sure that he let them know that the promise that has been given is in Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ Jesus, the promise belongs to us. And the only reason we are in Christ Jesus is because of this gospel message. And so, like Paul prayed, for the church of Ephesus, he said to them, he said, it is my prayer that God would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And he closed them with a benediction. He says, now, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. God bless you all. Do you have the, the uh, corporate benediction? Say this with me. Come, O Holy Spirit. Come as holy fire and burn in us. Come as holy wind and cleanse us with you. Come as holy light and lead us in the darkness. Come as holy truth and dispel our ignorance. Come as holy power and enable our weakness. Come as holy life and dwell in us. Convict us, convert us, consecrate us until we are set free from the service of ourselves to be your servants to the world. Amen.